Hi, it's Larry from Hawthorne Bank. You know, our goal is to put as many friendly faces in more familiar places all over town as we can. At Hawthorne Bank, we'll continue to do what we can for our community, our schools, and our nonprofit organizations. Hawthorne Bank cares. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Our gospel reading this morning comes from John chapter 4. And just ask this morning that you would listen as we read it. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had, hu- had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Amen. That's John 4, 5 through 26. We uh, get a beautiful glimpse of Christ's love for us, regardless of our situation. If we could somehow wrap our imaginations around the greatness of his love, it would be boggle our minds. And this morning we're going to sing about it, not only the greatness of his love, but the specific love that he has for each one of us.
our psalm reading this morning is from Psalm, it's psalm 95. And in this psalm, we are reminded because the psalmist speaks of the nation of Israel, they're um, groaning and complaining because they uh, just didn't feel like God was giving them everything they needed. But God in his faithfulness pursued them through their grumbling and their unfaithfulness. Let's read aloud together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Psalm 95. Amen. Well, if you were paying attention last Sunday in our pre-service, we taught you all a song. So this is your test. We'll see how well you all picked it up. All right, here we go. Time's up. 
You may be seated. Well, good morning. Genesis 3 is where we're going to be today. Genesis 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, just for the record, um, I had a bloody nose this morning and I was late. I did not forget to change my clocks. I just wanted everyone to know. I didn't want that rumor to get started. That is something I would do, but today I did get it all right. So Genesis 3 is where we're going to be today. Uh, thank you all for continuing to love on my family. The Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Once upon a time, a little boy rode his bike by an orchard. He'd been out playing all morning, and he was getting kind of hungry, and he stopped his bike by the fence of the orchard, and he looked out there across the fence, and he thought, well, look at all those apples. I'm sure that farmer wouldn't just miss one, you know, and so the little boy, you know, began to climb up over the barbed wire fence, and he kind of got right up at the top of the fence, and just for a moment, there was a little bit of conscience where he kind of paused. You know, should I do this? Should I not do this? And about that time, um, behind him, he heard the sound of a man go, <clears throat> the little boy turned around, and the farmer is standing there. And he said, son, are you trying to steal one of my apples? The little boy thought for a moment and said, no, sir, I'm trying really hard not to. <laughs> right? The book of Genesis, it, it's the beginning, and many skeptics scoff at Genesis. Well, it's fable, it's myth. Just want to remind us today that Jesus did not treat Genesis as fable nor myth. He taught it as actual History. The book of Genesis tells us how God created the universe, the heavens and the earth. By God's powerful word, he formed the earth and then he filled the earth. And when God got everything just the way that he wanted it, the pinnacle of his creation, God created people. God uniquely created people in his image, in his likeness. In fact, as you read through Genesis 1, after everything God creates, he says, oh, it was good. It was good. But after God makes people, he said his creation was very good. God loved the people he had made. He created a perfect man and a perfect woman. He placed them in a perfect paradise called Eden. And if you know the story, there was really just one rule. Uh, God created his people to know him and to love him. And the way that love works is we want to please those that we love, don't we? And so this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the only rule. It was the question of, will these people do what God wants? Will they love God or will they kind of choose to do their very own thing? And that's where we pick up the story today. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, 
But God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You pray for us this morning. Father God, would you speak from your word today, Lord? Uh, God, this whole idea that you pursue us. You pursue a love relationship with us. God, I pray today, if we've not heard your pursuit of sinners, that we would be amazed and run to you for salvation, Father. For those of us who've heard this message before, this idea countless times, God, overwhelm us all over again with how amazing it is that you are a God who your first question asked in Scripture is in pursuit of sinful man. Father, speak to us today in these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the screen is one of the realities of experiencing God. The second one says that God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. And so the big idea we're focusing on from today's text along that line, here it is. Even though we choose to sin... God pursues us to offer us a love relationship with him. That's kind of the big idea that we're going to look at today. Even though we choose sin, God pursues us to offer us a love relationship with him. We don't deserve it. Uh, we certainly couldn't earn it. God is just that good. Amen. He pursues his people. And so number one today, we see from these first few verses, the fall into sin. If you hop back to chapter 3, verse 1, we are introduced to the serpent. Introduced to the serpent. The New Testament identifies the serpent as the, the evil one. This is the enemy of God and God's people. His name in scripture is Lucifer. He's called Satan, meaning the adversary. He's called the devil, meaning the slanderer. Now, just to be clear, uh, Satan and God are not equals, right? God is alone is God. Satan is a creative being. He was originally an angel in heaven. He was a worship leader, if you will. But somewhere between the end of creation and Genesis 3, uh, the Bible says that he decided he kind of liked to get a little bit of worship. And so he decides he wants the glory that is due God alone. And so he leads, a, he leads a rebellion in heaven. That never turns out well when you try to go after the Lord. He always wins in the end, right? And so Satan and his demons are cast down. And thus the cosmic battle between good and evil began. Now we're told here this serpent slithers up to the woman. There is both a, a real animal of some kind here, and then there's also just a, a demonic presence. We're told that the serpent was, was more crafty. 
He, he was the most clever, the most cunning. Jesus said that when Satan tells a lie, he's just simply speaking his native tongue. Right? He's a, he's a liar. That's all Satan delights to do is to speak untruth. And, and notice the, the serpent's first question. He just simply starts where all sin starts. He questions God's word. Well, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And, and again, our culture questions God at every turn, don't they? And listen, I understand if you don't like what God has said, but let us not pretend like he didn't say it. And so the culture would say, well, did God really say that we should worship him alone? Did God really say that we should not speak or live in a way that takes his name in vain? Well, did God really say that we shouldn't murder, but we should advocate and stand up for life in in the dignity of every human life, that that's what we're called to do? Did God really say that we shouldn't lie, but we should be people of truth? Did God really say we shouldn't covet what others have, but should trust that God knows what we need? Concerning salvation, did God really say that we're actually born sinners, that we're not born good, but are born evil, separated from God? Did God really say that, that he, though we deserve judgment, that God so loved the world that he sent Christ to die? Did did God really say that Jesus was raised from the dead, that those who trust in him can have the spirit live inside of them? Did God really say all that? Yes, he did. Amen? God really did say all that. But Satan begins his temptation of the woman with the question of whether God has actually spoken. And so again, just pay attention when you hear people advocating for a position or a belief and when they go, well, did God really say? Just put a little question mark in your mind. That is literally where the fall into sin began. Now, Eve's answer is very interesting. Now, technically, she's not named Eve until later. But you know who we're talking about, this first woman. Uh, she responds to the serpent, but her answer is a little wonky. It's, it's not quite right. The woman says, well, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's true. And then she just kind of adds this in. You can't even touch it or you will die. And so God had indeed forbidden them from eating the tree, but not even touching it. That was added by the woman. She kind of, in a sense, she misunderstands what God has said. And just to clarify, here's the original command that God gave to Adam in Genesis 2, 16 to 17 on the screen. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. That was the command. Now, why is it a big deal that, that, that the woman just kind of adds this extra phrase in? Well, theologians have called Eve the first legalist. Meaning she was the first one who took God's perfect command and just said, well, God needs a little help. Let me, let me add to God's command. And keep in mind the New Testament, Jesus, uh, he is as concerned that we add to his word as he is that we ignore his word. And so Eve doesn't quite get it right. And I wonder if, I mean, I'm assuming the serpent knows full well what the command is. And I wonder if, if a big smile uh, spread across his sneaky face. She doesn't quite get it right. 
And listen, it's a passion of mine that we know God's word well. You know why? Because it's a defense against deception. So Satan comes. Now, he sort of questioned God's word. Now he just outright contradicts it. In verse 4, he's like, stop. You won't certainly die. He's just, he's just kind of teasing. He, he moves beyond just questioning God's word to now Satan is outright challenging it. He, he calls God a, a liar. He says, your eyes are going to be opened. And what he does here, and again, this is what sin is. Sin is when we think that we can get what's best. And maybe God doesn't know how to give us what is best. And so the temptation here is not, doesn't the fruit look good? The temptation here is, well, listen, God doesn't want you to have that special fruit. Because when you eat that, then you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be quite like him. I mean, God's just selfish like that. God's kind of stingy like that. He doesn't really want you to have the best things. So he's kept that fruit just for himself. I mean, if you eat that, then you'll be like him. He doesn't want any of that. And the temptation here is that, well, maybe if I decide what I think is best, maybe that'll turn out great. Uh, it didn't for the woman, and it doesn't for you and I. Satan led the woman to doubt God's word, and then he kind of puts this idea in there of questioning God's goodness. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen says that the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, and she takes the bait, hook, line, and singer, sinker, and what happens next? Literally, every bit of suffering in creation all hinges on what she does in verse 6. The, there's no more conversation needed from the serpent. She's ready to go. And so somewhere along the way, she decides in her heart that the snake's words could be trusted more than the Lord's words. Now she's deceived. And so she turns to the forbidden tree, and, and the text tells us she sees three things. She sees that it's good for food and that it's pleasing to the eye. And, and the Hebrew word translated good here, if you're reading through Genesis, we've seen this a bunch of times already. Here's the problem. Only God's qualified to really see what's good. And so now the woman here is like, you know, I think maybe I can take it from here. I think I'm going to decide that this is good, but deciding to disobey God is never good. So in a foreboding way, she's like, it's okay. She says it's desirable for gaining wisdom. The word desirable there is the same word from the 10th commandment when God says don't covet, right? Don't, don't covet, don't desire. And so she's kind of bought into this idea, I'm going to know good and evil. This is going to be great, right? What could possibly go wrong? And then the rest of verse 6, it's just boom, boom, boom. She took, she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he took a big old bite as well. Now, I'm not trying to create marriage issues this morning, but I, the end of verse 6 is a challenge to every man. Okay, look at the end of verse 6, right? And so men love to give women a hard time because the woman took the first bite, right? Well, you know, women got us into this whole mess, you know. And here's the problem. Adam was right there with her. The problem is, instead of him playing his godly role as a leader, he sat there like a bump on a pickle and just watched his wife bring sin into the world. He did nothing. When she steps up to the tree, Adam is silent. When he takes the fruit, Adam is silent. In fact, 1 Timothy says, listen, the woman was deceived. The man was not. 
He sinned against God with his eyes wide open, no hesitation. At some point in here, Adam should have been honoring God by protecting his wife and saying something like, Stop! Let's not do this. Talking snakes are odd. Let's go walk with the Lord, right? At some point, something should have stuck out here. And so anyway, just as an aside, the silence of Adam in this passage is a challenge to every man. Be the leader God's called you to be. Uh, so number one, the fall of man. Number two, we immediately see the effects of sin. Genesis 3, 7 tells us the first results of sin. Their, their eyes are open, but it definitely did not increase their wisdom in the way that Satan had sort of led Eve to believe that it would. Verse 7, their eyes, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. Now we're told in, at the end of Genesis 2 in the, the marriage passage that Adam and Eve were naked and they, they felt no shame. And that's for us today, this side of the curse, it's weird. Like who just strolls around naked and doesn't notice it? But their hearts were so pure. Their hearts were so pure and so innocent. That, that wasn't a bad thing. They, they didn't realize they were naked. But now something has changed. Because of sin, they've lost their moral innocence for the first time, they realized what it was to, to be sinful. And, and here's the deal. They didn't realize just what it is to do evil. They felt what it is to be evil. They had sinned against God, and sin enters in. And I wonder in that moment, like, standing there at the tree, fr like, juice dripping down their chin. I wonder if they looked at each other and said, hey, good call. That was worth it. It's been said that sin, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, Satan is the ultimate half-liar, right? I mean, he lies, but so what he said wasn't totally wrong. I mean, they didn't drop dead in the moment. They were still physically alive, but spiritually they immediately died. The part of them that had been created to commune with their creator died. Now physical death would come to them eventually. I don't know about you, but death runs in my family since Eden. There will come a moment when we all go through that valley of the shadow of death. The question is, do you have Jesus with you or not? He says, listen... God's, their spiritual relationship, their, their communion ended, their ability to image God's glory, it's, it's marred, it's, it's corrupted. And so realizing that they're naked, they, they're like, well, we need to do something. And so they decide to grab some fig leaves, the text tells us. And they grab some fig leaves and they, they make some coverings for themselves. Now, I've never tried to wear leaves, but I know they don't last very long, Right. And I know they're not real durable if you're going to wear them more than like five minutes. And so this is such a, it's almost comical how feeble of an attempt it is to think, well, no, we just brought sin into creation. Let's see if a leaf will fix it, right? Let's, let's see how this turns out. Now, as silly as those fig leaves are, they, they represent the silliness of any of us who think that we can fix sin on our own. The Bible says that since the Garden of Eden that, 
that every one of us are now sinners. That without Jesus, that we are all born with a physical pulse, but spiritually dead, separated from God. We are, we are evil. We've turned away from God. And the minute we start making our own decisions, we live out the brokenness of the decision maker within us. We become the sinners that we are. And, and our only hope is to recognize our sinfulness. You know why we have hope? Because God pursues us, even though we don't deserve it and couldn't earn it. This is our God who's like, man, saw it, shame on you, let's, let's talk. And so look at verse 8. This is incredible. Uh, verse 8 opens with a sound. Number 3, we see God's pursuit. We see fall, the effect, and then we see God's pursuit. And so then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so the Eden was like God's paradise. It was a perfect place. And so God can just, like, kick back with his people. It's an incredible idea. God can stroll along in the cool of the day. And now what's so interesting about verse 8, though, is before this moment, the sound of God walking towards them had been joy. It had been peace. It had been like, yes, like, here he comes. You know, it's like this morning I was trying to eat breakfast really quiet and not wake up our puppy. And once I did, she, like, can't even stand up. She's so excited just to be with us, you know. And so that's this, this joy of, like, man, God is coming. But all, now it's completely different. For the first time ever, there's, there's fear. Like, for real, like, we're going to die. Like, we got to hide. we got to do something. The sound of God coming near was what was terrifying. And all of a sudden, their fig leaves feel pretty insignificant. And so, again, it, it's a feeble attempt. But they're like, let's go hide in a bush. You know, maybe that will turn out better. And so they go uh, jump into a bush. And, and again, we, we cannot fix ourselves. Um, it, it's good to do good things. But good things can never remove our sin. It, 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 you kind of a mixed bag, but to go to heaven, to be fit for heaven, our sins got to be eliminated. That only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God comes and Adam and Eve are hiding. And as I mentioned in my prayer, verse 9, this is the first question that the Lord God asks in Scripture. And it gives me goosebumps at the grace of it, the kindness of it. God says to the man, where are you? Now, just for the record, God does not ask questions he does not know the answer to. Okay? God is not, it's not God who doesn't know where Adam is. God knows that Adam doesn't know where Adam is. He doesn't understand. He's trying to help him get it, man. Something big just changed. God's saying, Adam, where are you? It's God's loving way of saying, you should not be where you are. Why don't you come on out and, and let's, let's chat about this. Let's talk about this. And it would have been just and right if God had just destroyed them on the spot. Because he is holy. He, he made it very clear what, he should, what they should do and not do. Like, wouldn't you love to live in a world with only one rule? They couldn't even get the one right, you know. But, but, so, but God is, is not just just. He also is gracious. He is holy. Now, is God angry with Adam and Eve? 
you bet he is. And we're not going to cover the judgment today, but there, there is a lot of, I mean, judgment that, that comes on the serpent, that comes on the woman, that comes on, on Adam. I mean, the issues we have with gardening and the pain of childbirth and everything in between all goes back to the fall and the curse of sin in this world because of sin. But I want us to recognize here that, that God is saying to them, look at verse 10. This is Adam's answer. He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and, and so I hid. And, and, and again, he's not fully getting it, but he's trying to talk this out. And, and then from this moment on, all sinners will feel their guilt and shame. You know, God's grace is always amazing, but it doesn't always feel amazing. Right? So we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, John Newton's hymn. But I love the verse that says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Amen? And so there's a fearfulness of being like, I got nothing but my shame and my sin. And God in his love says, come here anyway. Come here anyway. Again, God knows the answer to what they've done. God says, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And again, they immediately, it wasn't me, it was the woman. God, if you hadn't given me that woman, this never would have happened. The woman's like, it wasn't me, it was the snake. And again, at some point, if we're ever going to be caught, in a sense, God pursues us. If we're going to turn and say, Lord, here I am, it's got to put finger pointing around and just be like, Lord, here I am with the mess I am. But I, I've heard that you are a Savior who can fix things that I can't. I want to skip down to verse 21. And, and God's atonement is it's kind of me putting a theological word. But look down to verse 21. Again, there's all this great stuff that happens. But verse 21 the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now listen, this is both functional, because it made clothing for them. This is an incredible prophecy of Jesus Christ. Right? And so again, I'm going to use my imagination here just a, a, a little bit. But God comes to Adam and Eve, and, and this is the idea of atonement. Here it is, right? The Bible has many stories in it. But ultimately, if you zoom up to 30,000 foot, from the opening stories of Genesis to the final scene of Revelation, the Bible tells one grand story of God taking the initiative from his end to make atonement. Well, what is atonement? It means that God has chosen to deal with sin, right? The word atonement, you see the word at and you see the word one. God has dealt with sin so we can be at one with him again is a decent kind of way to think about the concept of atonement. It's throughout Scripture. And, and in Genesis 3, again, God, uh, God's amazing grace is seeing the, in the, that God took the initiative to cover them. Now, as far as we know, right, this is the first blood shed in Scripture. Now, I've seen pictures of some of your homes, and I've been to some of your places already, and it was welcoming and inviting, but I've noticed this. There are dead animals on some walls here in Clinton. And um, 
And there are stories to go with the animals, and I love it, right? I, I love that. In fact, my, Becca was teasing me, and she was like, if we're going to decorate like everybody else, you're going to have to learn to hunt. And I was like, <laughs> teach me, right? Show me. Anyway, so the last I checked, if you remove the skin from an animal, it doesn't do well. <laughs> now listen, you're Adam and Eve. You're ashamed. You're embarrassed. And again, I can't prove this. I think God made them watch. I, I think God invited them in and said, listen, without the shedding of blood, there's no covering for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so they watch this animal go from living to dead as God takes the first life and he sheds blood. And from the blood that is shed, there's sort of a temporary atonement and a temporary covering made for Adam and Eve's sin. In fact, this, I would argue, is the beginning of the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Right? I mean, how can you be a priest in Old Testament Israel in the temple or the tabernacle or any of it and not think back to the fact of we're, all these bulls and all these goats and all these lambs, we're shedding all this blood to temporary cover sins momentary to the Day of Atonement. We're covering sin year to year. But do the blood of bulls, bulls and goals take away sin? No. They're just temporary. Jesus is permanent. Um, I noticed none of you brought goats or sheep today to sacrifice in the response song in a moment, right? Why? Because Jesus is that sacrifice. This all points forward to when Jesus, right again, God so loved that he sent. God knew that Jesus would die in the same way that God is okay with the shedding of the blood because he so loves his people. So does Jesus come because God so loves us. We have turned away and gone astray. God chases us down. He pursues. He chases after us. Now, Adam and Eve would not have understood this, but for you and I, we better, amen? We better understand this is what Jesus came to do. I love this quote by, by author Tim Keller. I'm going to read it twice. I want us to get it today. It's, it's just, I love it. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the gospel. We are more sinfully flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Right, so that's the good news today. Even though we choose sin, God pursues us not to condemn, right? Jesus came into the world not, not for that sole purpose of condemning, but so the world would have a chance to be saved. And so if you don't know Christ, that's an invitation to come and not just have your sins covered today. Adam and Eve, they were covered. You can have your sins removed obliterated, annihilated, erased. Now listen, for those of us who know Christ, we know we don't have it all figured out quite yet, right? We, we still kind of stumble uh, along. And so we come into this relationship of being forgiven, and then we're spiritually growing. And listen, there's many consequences to sin for Adam and Eve for all of us. 
But God can forgive and bring us into a right relationship with himself. And that doesn't fix every consequence. But it invites the creator God of the universe back into our lives and says, God, I want to experience you. Even though we choose sin, God pursues us to offer us a love relationship with him. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. And as they come, look at the screen. Just what's your next step today? Again, everybody hearing this, whether you're hearing this on the radio or online later or you're in this room, you're either, you either know Christ or, or you need Christ. Amen? If you don't know Christ, uh, Joey's going to be down here with me. I'll be down here. We'd love the chance today to say, here's how you can trust in Christ and be forgiven of your sin. You can move today from death to life. Amen? You can leave here forever changed today if you don't know Christ. I know most of us do know Christ. And so maybe today it's one of those other things. Maybe you're like, well, I've, I've trusted in Christ, but I've never really made that public through believers baptism. Maybe today uh, it's, it's time to go from the big room to a smaller room, right? To be in relationship. Discipleship happens through relationships. We've got folks in the lobby that would love to connect with you today. My wife and I ran into a lady this weekend that I, I pray she comes. Her and Becca are going to meet in the lobby and visit a class together today. Maybe that's for you today as well. And then church membership. Is God calling you to, to jump into membership? I'm going to share a business meeting tonight. Uh, more church membership kind of stuff. We may tweak a little bit. But membership must be meaningful. What a gift it is to be plugged in and a part of a local body. And then maybe today it's, well, God wants me to start serving. Maybe God's giving you an awareness of where he's at work in our midst. And he's just calling you to jump in right there. Maybe today you just have questions you'd love to reach out this week. Um, you'd love to ask today. Again, anytime we worship, anytime we hear God's word, this is that moment. Like I pray in, in such a, a real way that as I pray and as we stand to respond, that you would hear God say, where are you today? Where are you? And then what's the next step? We pray for us. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, I pray today, Lord, that, that we would hear, Father, you saying, God, you recognizing where we are. But, Lord, maybe today you want a, a young lady here. You want a man, a woman, a child to, to kind of know where they are. And maybe today you want to, to pursue them so that they know what that next step is. God, help us to respond Father, help us to, to wait when we're not sure what to do. God, help us to respond when you show us what to do. Lord, as we stand to sing this song of response, God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to respond today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we respond this morning?